good to see everyone this morning. Is a rope useful? Yes. Absolutely. What kinds of things is a rope useful for? <laughs> Tevi. <laughs> I'm not even going to repeat that one. <laughs> well, I guess in the, the Old West, that was, yeah, okay. What else might a rope be useful for? What was that? Holding up trees. Yeah? A pinata. Yeah, see, ropes are great. Maybe holding luggage on. So um, I was out of town a little bit this week, but my wife went out front one of the days and Mark had decided to use, oops, one of my kids had decided to, <laughs> to ah, <laughs> had decided to, to find out the usefulness of a rope. And Susie goes out there. And, and Mark was working on knots, and he had tied the rope to our tree in the front yard. The, the thing is, is he tied the other end to the neighbor's tree across the street. <laughs> right about three feet high. And, and, and Susie quickly and strongly encouraged him to take the rope down. <laughs> That's dangerous, right? That's a use of a rope that would not be appropriate because that can harm others, that can, that can destroy a car. I tried to explain that to Mark. I'm like, okay, if, if that does damage to a car, and, and the way cars are, cars are made now, it won't just snap the rope. The fiberglass will just tear apart. And we're talking thousands of dollars of damage. He says, that's okay, Dad. They own the car. They have to pay for it. <laughs> like, no, that's not how it works, son. So we have a little life lesson and Praise God, he got the rope down before any cars went through it and before we made any convertibles. And, and it just, um, yeah. But a rope can be used for something good or it could be used for in, in a way that damages. This morning as we were talking about spiritual gifts, and we're really wrapping up our discussion of spiritual gifts that we've been covering in 1 Corinthians 12-14. through 14. And Paul spent three chapters on this because this was a huge issue in the church. They were misusing them. They were using them for personal benefit rather than the benefit of the church. They were, they were using them just completely incorrectly as far as even giving glory to God. And so Paul spent a lot of time dealing with this. And so we've spent a, a six weeks on this and talking through spiritual gifts. And today we want to wrap that up and I want to bring in a couple of other passages that talk about spiritual gifts, answer a couple questions that you've been asking in the last six weeks and that I've been hearing and so we have a, a several different questions that we're going to ask, as well as looking at 1 Peter 4 and, and Romans 12, and just pulling in sort of the rest of the information to add to our understanding of spiritual gifts. Then next week we'll move on, 1 Corinthians 15, and talk about the glorious resurrection of our Lord and, and the hope that we have in that. But gifts can be used incorrectly, just like that rope, but they can also be used correctly. And so we want to talk about how does God want us to use spiritual gifts. The title this morning is, You've Got Them, How Will You Use Them? Because we talked about it in a number of the, the lessons. We talked about that every believer has a spiritual gift. And we don't have all of them, but the church is given all the gifts that it needs to do God's work. So how does that look in the church? The things today really are, are summary, pulling ideas together that maybe we've already heard. Some of the ideas Paul has repeated 10, 20 times already, and so we'll repeat them again today. Because what was one of the purposes of the gifts that he says over and over? To what? To, to edify or to build up the church. And, so, and then secondly, he says to glorify God. And so we want to keep that in mind. Would you turn with me to 1 Peter 4, 10-11? Some of you might have already been in 1 Corinthians, thinking that's where we'd be. But turn to 1 Peter 4, 10-11. and 11. And it's, it's really a passage where Peter summarizes the use of gifts. Paul in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4 gives some specifics. But in 1 Peter 4, 10-12, Peter, through the Holy Spirit, summarizes just general categories of gifts, but how should we use them? What should be our attitude as we come together to use our gifts in the body of Christ? 1 Peter 4, 10-11. I just want to read these two verses as we start and then we'll dig into them. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as, as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. 
To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, I pray that as we dig into Your Word and just answer some of the questions about gifts, may, may our focus be on Your glory. You have given gifts for us to do Your work under Your power. Lord, help us to remember that as we dig in and, and just enjoy what You've given us in Your Word this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. So the first question we want to answer this morning is, who are we to be when we use our gifts? Who are we to be as we use our gifts? And in verse 10 there, you see the two things. And I'll just give you both points right up front for those of you that want to fill in those blanks. Servants and stewards. Servants and stewards. And we see that as each one has received a gift, and Paul is reminding that every person has a gift. So servants and stewards. And Paul begins by reminding, as each has received a gift. And the first thing he says is use it to serve one another. This is the building up of the body of Christ. And I just want to be interactive on a couple of these concepts this morning because they're so familiar that we can just skip over them. What does it mean to be a servant? And sort of divorce yourself from the church setting right now. Just in general, what did it mean to be a servant? What do you think? You serve. You do what the master says when the master says. The servant, what happens if the servant, or maybe we can think employee, what happens if the servant says, well, you know what, I didn't really feel like doing that today. I have a better idea than you. Servants don't do that. Why? Because they're servants. They don't question. They'd be fired. And that would be it. What else do you think of when you think of servants? They don't live in a democracy. Let's get all the servants together and vote, and we'll tell the master what he should be doing. I like that. <laughs> What else? Okay, looking to others. If our focus, if, if who we are is servants, then that categorizes everything we do and servants serve, they look to others. And so when, when Paul is saying, use your gift to serve one another, he's tapping into the idea of servanthood, our identity as servants that should control everything we do. One more. Others first? Okay. And so, so we, we serve others first. Did I hear that right? Okay, got it. Okay. Absolutely. Because a servant isn't serving himself, he's serving others. And it's about, in our case, the master who is Jesus Christ. Paul uses the word that we've seen here for serve, diakonos, the idea of waiting on tables. And, and I looked up some of the other ways that it's used, and it just gives us a, a real breadth of understanding um, to serve one another, to wait on, to perform duties for, to render assistance, to serve. It was used to wait on someone as a table. Sometimes it's used just to meet a need, to help somebody that has a need, to minister to someone. Sometimes it means to care for or to take care of. And I think of even an elderly person or someone that's sick, that idea of coming in and taking care of all their needs, that's incorporated in this word. And so we're to serve one another because we are servants. Every person has a gift. Every person is to be a servant. So how do we come and, and, and have this mindset? And I mentioned before, and I put it on, on Facebook last night, one of the ways is we come and say, how can I be a, a servant today? How can I be a minister today? How can we, who can I minister to? Mark and I, as we were coming this morning, we talked about it and said, okay, what, what can we do? Who can we minister to? And he just started throwing out some ideas because we're trying to, to train this just as part of going to church. We don't just come to be fed, to be consumers. We come to be the body of Christ and to serve one another. One of the questions we can ask to, to check our attitude is, would a true servant do this? Would a true servant question this? Would a true servant complain about this? Would a true servant refuse to do this? If a master asks a servant to do something, do they, do they have the ability to refuse? They shouldn't. They, they, again, lose their, their position if they do. But so many times I think we struggle with this concept Paul is saying. Use it to serve one another. He repeats this in 11. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. And so we need to come as servants. Ready to do the work of the Master. Putting aside our own agendas. Putting our, uh, aside our own needs at times. Servants are about the needs of others. They come to serve. When I think of ministry, I think of some of the things that we do that, 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 that 
can kill ministry. And servants avoid those things that kill ministry. And I put four of them in your notes. And one of them is we avoid complaining. Servants don't complain about their status. Oh, I wish I wasn't a servant. Or, oh, I wish I had different quarters. Servants are just there to serve the Master. Servants avoid a critical spirit. James 5.9 says, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. The, the real person that judges is coming. And it's easy to criticize people. In a church setting, when we come to ministry, it's easy to criticize people because other people don't do things the way I would do them. And my way, obviously, is right. I mean, don't we have that sort of mindset? Otherwise, I wouldn't believe it's my way. And so it's easy to be critical and say, well, they didn't do it the way that, that I would do it. Sometimes a critical spirit comes from perfectionism. That we have to put on a good show. We have to get things exactly right. Now, I believe in excellence and doing our best. But really, we, we, we need to focus more on how does this build up the body of Christ instead of what technique should this be done with. Because the focus is, does this build up the body of Christ? Isn't it true that nothing deflates a person's their enthusiasm and drive more than criticism? I mean, if someone is, is ministering here and maybe they're trying a new ministry and, and someone comes along and says, you know what, you really blew that and you're doing this wrong and you should do this and this and I just don't appreciate what you're doing, will they try ministry again? Not for a while. Now, yes, there should be feedback and that should be done through the appropriate settings, but that's different from a critical spirit. Servants avoid comparisons. Avoid comparisons. Let us not become conceited in Galatians 5.26, provoking one another, envying one another. And so as we're serving, as we're serving with our gifts, it's not about comparisons. It's not about, well, hey, more people came to the ministry they're leading than the ministry I'm leading. How dare they? You know, it's not about that. Or their, their ministry just seems to be helping more people than mine. Those are all comparisons that will kill ministry. When a servant is asked to do something, he does it without being comparing to what another servant has done because the master has given them a different task. And so servanthood avoids comparisons. The last thing there is servants avoid a competitive spirit. Haven't we already seen that in 1 Corinthians? I am of Paul. I am of Apollos. I am of Christ. And, and, and we saw comparisons. And what Paul does is he... He brings them back and in, in competition, rather. He brings them back and say, we're not in competition because we're all part of the master's plan. One plants, one waters, one reaps. Sort of takes the competition out of it, right? Because now we're all focused on the same goal to please the master to be about his, his work. We need to be servants, willing to do anything for the master, willing to give up our own ideas, our own rights. And do what God asks us to do. Would a servant do this? Is a great question to ask. Second thing we see in that passage is stewardship. Stewards. We're to be stewards of God's varied grace depending on God in our ministry. We see that at the end of verse 10 as good stewards of God's varied grace. I just used the same words that the verse used in our point. And then he goes on to the dependence. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. And a steward, if you remember, we've talked about this before as well, a steward is a manager basically. Someone that takes the master's possessions or goods and disperses them or manages them for the master. And so again, like we did with servanthood, what do you think are some key things of stewardship that a steward should do? What are some things that he would have to remember? Ideas? Keep account. That's right, because the master comes back and checks with the steward, how did you do? Okay, so, so when, when Paul or when Peter here says we're good stewards of God's grace, there's an accountability there. How are we using it? Someone else? It's not mine. What happens when the steward begins to think that all of the master's possessions are his? Changes how he views them, how he uses them, changes how he treats the other servants, breeds pride. 
One more. What do you think of when you think of stewards? Or managers? Ooh, I like that. Use what you're given as the owner intended. The steward is a representative or an agent of the owner, right? And so they're to, to do what he would want done with those goods. And so get the picture in, in verse 10 there, as good stewards of God's varied grace. The idea is that God has given us grace. And if you remember Pastor Andrew, when he first, we first started talking about gifts, the, the word for gifts is the idea of grace gifts. And any gifts that God gives us are His grace on us. It, just like at Christmas, when you receive gifts from family, that's their, their grace, their love to you. It's a gift to you. So the same with spiritual gifts. God empowers us through the Holy Spirit to do His work. And those are grace gifts. But as stewards, we should be giant mirrors and just take God's grace and direct it to the body of Christ and direct it to others around us. Or if you want a plumbing metaphor, conduits of God's grace. Where it just flows through us to other people. It doesn't stop with us. It's not like, oh, I, I received a gift. I'm just going to sit back and enjoy this. A steward uses it as it's intended. And so a steward was a manager entrusted with the master's affairs, entrusted with his household. And in this case, we see God has entrusted us with his grace. Think about that, that phrase for a minute. We are entrusted with God's grace. His amazing, boundless, incredible, undeserved grace that we are entrusted with to use for His kingdom, to use for the body. And so when I think of stewards, I think of coming on Sunday, coming to every time we gather and saying, how can I distribute God's grace today? How can I show God's grace to others? Is there anyone that maybe I come across that needs to know God's grace today and needs me to show it to them? When I think of stewardship, I also think of responsibility rather than the word privilege. Because a steward is responsible for all these things. It's, it's a gift from God. It's not my gift. And so Paul, Peter expands this in verse 11 when he talks about dependence because a steward is dependent on the master for what he gets, for direction. And so in verse 11, Peter says, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. And, and verse 11 here gives us two different aspects of gifts. And Peter is really summarizing all the gifts into speaking gifts and serving gifts. And speaking gifts might include things like teaching, preaching, exhortation, prophecy, evangelism, a leadership, where serving gifts might be things like, um, make sure I get the right spot in my notes, like helps, service, giving, craftsmanship, prayer, mercy. Those are all serving gifts. And Peter says, okay, let's start with the speaking gifts. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Or you might translate that the very words of God. And it's important to understand this phrase because some have used it to say, well, I have a speaking gift. I am speaking God's word to you. You must listen. Now, where's the focus of that? It's on how you receive it, right? But the focus here is actually on the person that's using the gift and it's their responsibility to make sure they are speaking the very words of God. So this isn't a statement of, of power and authority and dominance. This is a statement of saying, make sure you are depending on God when you are using a speaking gift. Make sure you have done everything in your power to speak His very words. It's an exhortation to the speaker, not the hearer. Think of it in stewardship. When you are teaching the kids today, those of you that are teachers, you are teaching God's Word to them. The Master's words that He has given you to them. You're speaking on His behalf. Those of you that are teaching adult Sunday school, you're teaching on God's behalf. should cause a little bit of trembling, right? And, and, and Peter here is saying, take this seriously. Endeavor to speak God's Word. We have the Bible. This is God's Word. This is the test for everything we do. And so if you're in a speaking gift somewhere in the church, make sure you've studied. Make sure you've done your best to accurately reflect God's Word. And the second thing that I would say, or the, the, the next three things I would say, is pray, pray, pray. Because if we're to do this in dependence on God, prayer's got to bathe everything we do. 
And so every time before you go, even, even into the kids, even the twos and threes you're teaching, you make sure you've prayed. Say, God, give me your words. Help me not to distract. Help me not to speak things that aren't from your word. It's vital in using the speaking gifts. Some of you have heard a story that I, I tell of um, when I was in preaching class. And I remember sitting there in, in, in one of the, the sermons listening to students preach. And, and after this one student was done, the professor, there was just a quiet in the class. The professor always critiqued and actually was pretty direct with us in class. And he looked at the student and said, you didn't even study that passage, did you? And the student looked at him and said, well, actually, I ran out of time this week, so I didn't have time. And the professor said, I can tell because you got God's word wrong. And I can remember the next 15 minutes, that teacher was red in the face, and he had a righteous anger. And he challenged us to say, you are preaching God's word. Never take that lightly. Never replace it with your own thoughts when you haven't studied, when you haven't done due diligence. And man, he hammered us. And then sent us out on break because he just couldn't handle it anymore. I remember on break talking to the person that was preaching next. (laughs) It's like, oh, I hope I've studied. (laughs) The point was, this is God's very word. This is his oracle. We need to take this seriously. If you're in any speaking ministry here, don't go into it without preparation. Study ahead of time. Don't come Sunday morning and spend 10 minutes and hope you can throw a great lesson together that the Holy Spirit uses. You can't. Let's treat this like what it is. The very words of God. Peter goes on, second half of that verse, when he talks about serving. He says, those that serve, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified. And I love his point there that in the serving gifts, and it extends to all gifts, we do this by God's strength. If we are ministering on our own strength, we will burn out, we will get tired, we won't see the fruit, because the Holy Spirit isn't the one generating it. But when we minister by God's strength, it keeps us going. Even when it's hard. Even when there's criticism. I think of the gift of mercy. Mercy is a gift where, you, where you're, you're empathetic with people and coming alongside hurting people. That's a hard gift. Some of you have that. And I know it weighs on your heart. But the Holy Spirit is giving you the strength to do it. God is the one keeping you going. And again, we ha- that happens through prayer. That happens through dependence on Him. And we talked about things that kill ministry, that, that servants avoid some things that kill ministry that stewards avoid, when I think of the gift as mine and that I should control the use of it. A steward doesn't have that attitude, but that will destroy ministry if we go there. The second is when I minister in my own strength, think I can do it on my own. And we get busy and we do that, don't we? And we coast in ministries and we just show up and perform a duty. What we do here in ministry, what you do when you use your gifts is vital to the body. It is important. It brings life. It brings discipleship. It brings spiritual growth. So let's steward God's grace appropriately. I love the end of those verses. The end of verse 11 there. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. See, when we serve as stewards, when we serve as servants, God gets the glory. Because a servant directs the glory to the master. A steward knows it's not his possessions, it's the master's possessions. And so when we minister in this way, God gets the glory. What a beautiful summary in two verses of how to use our gifts how to remember them. Next question on your notes, and the question that I, that I got asked the most is, well, what are the different gifts, Pastor Ron? We talked about a few of them as we look through 1 Corinthians 12, but you, we've said how to use them or, or what our attitude should be, but what are they? 
And so I wanted to, to go through, and in, on the other page of your notes, you see 24 different gifts. Now again, like we've said, these are not exhaustive. This is a, an example of what we see in Scripture. But all the lists in Scripture are different, and so we know there isn't one final list. The Holy Spirit's going to work how the Holy Spirit's going to work. Praise God. But my, my goal in this, and, and enough of you asked this that we, we took this week to, to go through the gifts, my goal in this is that these start to spark interest. That these give ideas. That as we talk through it, maybe one of them will, you'll start to get excited about. Like, oh yeah, that's, that's totally what I want to do. Or that completely is how I see God using me. Because then as we try these things, we see God work. And so before we go through the list, and, and I've arranged them alphabetically, there's all kinds of different ways you can arrange them. I like alphabetically. I can get to them quickly then and find them quickly and appeals to the organization side of me. But I wanted to just read some of the passages that they come from. And I'll start with the 1 Corinthians 12 passage, which we've already studied. And then I'll read the Romans 12 passage and the Ephesians 4 passage. And the majority of these come from those three passages. A few come from some other verses. But just listen to these lists and then we'll, we'll break them down a little bit more. 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10 and 27 through 28. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the works of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Lots of things so far, right? Chapter 14. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. Romans 12, 6-8 having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. And there's the tie of grace and gifts again. Let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Then jumping to Ephesians 4, another list of those that are equipping gifts. And He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Again, the theme that has been over and over. So let's look at 24, and there may be more, there are more. I can guarantee that. But let's just get ideas. And as we go through them on the other page, Maybe even mark ones that, that you're like, you know, I'd like to try something in that. Something that the Holy Spirit is putting on your heart. And let's be a body that, that ministers together. The first there is administration or organization. It's out of 1 Corinthians 12, 28. The ability to coordinate many details and execute the plans of leadership by organizing and managing people, resources, and time for effective ministry. Do we need this one in the church? Absolutely. And those of you that, that with the gift of administration, you notice when it, does, when it isn't there, don't you? It's like, oh boy, we, we go down into chaos. And we talked a little bit about this, and the ones we've already talked about, I'm not going to spend a, a huge amount of time, but the word there is the idea of steering a ship, and it's managing the affairs of the church. And, and to, So think managers when you think of the gift of administration. Those who guide the smooth operation of ministries. Sometimes people with the administration, they're always looking for more efficient ways to do things. How can we do this better? They're also often good at getting others involved, giving them jobs. We need the gift of administration. We need every one of these gifts. The second one is Apostle with a little a, although I think in your notes they're all capitalized um, all the way through. Um, this is the idea of missions and church planting. And keep in mind with these definitions, like we've talked about, there's scholars that have all kinds of different definitions for these. This is our working list, but these are things we want to be humble with and realize that other people view some of these words differently. But with apostle, missions, church planning, the ability to start new churches in a new area and oversee their development. 
And, and we're, we're basing that on the word apostle means one who is sent. And you had the twelve, which were a special class, but then in the New Testament, we also saw other apostles in the church that were different from the twelve, that were more like missionaries sent out to plant churches to start God's work in different places. And so it's that sense that we use the word apostle, not in the sense of the twelve, not in the sense that there's going to be new scripture. And it's amazing because when I see people that go to the missions field, when I see people that are planting churches, God has given them just a unique ability to to forge new ground, to plant where it's never been planted before. The third one there is craftsmanship. I want to read the verse that this is from. This is from a different verse. and I, This one's hard because is this, a, is this just a skill, a natural ability, or is this a gift? But in Exodus 31, we, we see it used as a gift. It says, See, I have called by my name Bezalel, son of Uri, son of Hur, to the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship. And then it goes on for the next six verses to say what kinds of things he's been gifted to build in the temple. And so in this case, it's the idea of of building God's house, God's temple, the church, in a way that facilitates ministry and in a way that facilitates worship. It's not just saying you're good with tools at home. The, The difference in the gifting is do I see and am I passionate about how it benefits the body of Christ? and how it benefits worship. Some people are gifted to work with their hands. Some people are gifted in arts and crafts, making things for ministry. Does this help the body in worship is what's on their hearts. Number four, discernment, distinguishing between spirits. Discernment is the ability to distinguish right from wrong, truth from error, and identify deception in character and relationships. The ability to discern whether the source of an experience is Satan, self, or God's spirit. Now, distinguishing between spirits is, is a hard one to really get your head around because it's not like you have this little divining rod and you're testing everybody. Oh, Phil, your motivation isn't quite right today or whatever. This is a sense, especially in a teaching ministry or in, in a movement where God says, this is not from me. Usually, before all the facts are out about a ministry, this person just has this, the, the Holy Spirit is putting such unrest in their soul about what is happening that they can tell that this is not from God. What's hard about this one is we can't just give it five multiple choice questions and know the answer because it's, it's, it's the Holy Spirit bringing to light something that we don't know. Some of you may even have this gift but not able to use it because you haven't studied the Word of God, you haven't studied the truth enough. And what I found is people with discernment that are able to use it need to just be saturated with God's Word. Because this is how we know what is false. Is this valuable in the church? Yeah. It's a protection for the church. Number five, evangelism. The ability to sense opportunities to share Christ and then effectively communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ to unbelievers, leading them to respond in faith and move toward discipleship. Now, again, we should all be practicing evangelism. Outreach is one of our core values. But people with the gift of evangelism, they're just drawn to unbelievers like metal to magnets. It's just amazing. They just can sense them out. That person's an unbeliever, and they can sense when to share the gospel, and they find ways to share the gospel. Every conversation can turn to the gospel naturally. Now, now how does that work out in the church? Some of you have the gift of evangelism. And you use that individually by bringing people to Christ. But we use that in the church by, by training us, teaching us, helping those of us that may not have that gift be sure we're practicing it and doing it. I love watching people with the gift of evangelism share the gospel because people just are, are hanging on every word and they respond We need to learn from that gift. If you have the gift of evangelism, I encourage you to make sure you're involved in Awana. Make sure you're involved in Second Harvest in some of the things that we are doing that are directly touching non-believers. Help us think of more ideas for Project Touch, ways to reach out. It's evangelism. 
sixth gift, gift, exhortation, or some of your versions say encouragement. Both words are used. It's the ability to motivate and help God's people to apply and act on biblical principles and to reassure and strengthen them, especially when they are discouraged or wavering in their faith. The idea of exhortation and encouragement is to come alongside someone spiritually and boost them up. Think of it physically. If if someone breaks their leg out on a sports field or something like that, they break their leg, what do others do? You come and you put them on your shoulder, right? And you carry them off because they can't do it. And that's a great picture for encouragement, exhortation. It's the idea of coming alongside and doing something. Sometimes we think of encouragement as, yay, you're doing great, bye. That's not encouragement, exhortation. Exhortation does something with it. It helps the person take the next step and to grow. It says, take this teaching and I'll help you do it. It's getting someone up and going. You know, think of, of, some of you may have somebody that gets you up in the morning. One of the traditions in our house, if someone doesn't get up, then ice cubes become their encouragement. And they get up very quickly. But encouragement helps people do what they should be doing. Luther said, the teacher transmits knowledge, the exhorter stimulates, gets people to do it. Gift of exhortation is in Romans 12.8. We see an example of it in Acts 14. It can be used in teaching. Sometimes uh, teachers have the gift of exhortation. It can be used one-on-one. You know, one of the ways it's used is, is if you have the gift of exhortation, come and ask the Holy Spirit to show you who to talk to that day. Because it's used often one-on-one, where people with this gift just walk up to somebody and say, hey, it looks like you're struggling. How can I help you? And they help them in their faith and in walking with God. Number seven, the gift of faith. We saw that in 1 Corinthians 12, 9. See an example of it in Romans 4. The ability to trust God for what cannot be seen and to act on God's direction with unwavering belief in His ability regardless of what the circumstances indicate. The willingness to risk failure in pursuit of a God-given vision and expecting God to handle the obstacles. People with the gift of faith love to take risks for God. Not just risks that they've made up, but when they, when they believe God is calling them to do something, the, the circumstances, the naysayers don't stop them because God is greater than all those. They often have the ability to persevere, to trust God for the impossible. Pastor Andrew mentioned George Mueller as an example of a man who probably had the gift of faith. As he, he did God's work and just trusted that God would provide for everything that he was doing. And, and sure enough, God did every time. We need people with the gift of faith to keep us moving forward, to remind us to trust God to remind us to put ourselves in situations where we have to trust God if it's at His leading. Eighth one there, the gift of giving. We see that in Romans 12.8, and I think we see it in 1 Corinthians 13.3 too. But the ability to generously give material possessions and money beyond the tithe, freely and happily to the work of the Lord. And someone with the gift of giving, this type of person just loves to give. They view themselves and especially their resources as simply ways that they can bless others and, and be used for the kingdom of God. And so they too are like giant funnels where God will bless them with things and they just keep funneling that blessing to the work of God. People with the gift of giving usually do that behind the scenes and don't want recognition for that. And, and I appreciate that because it's not about bringing attention to self. It's about facilitating God's work. Keep in mind, this is another one that is something giving. Tithing is something that every believer is to do. It's an act of worship, an act of trust in God, and and gratefulness to God. It's part of of maturity in Christ. But this is beyond that. I, I love being around people with the gift of giving because they just see needs and they meet needs. And they, they do it with a smile. It's not a chore. It's a, it's a joy for them. An example of this is R.J. RG Letourneau. He's the man that developed the earth movers, invented um, some of the big equipment that is used. Um, 
He, when he started out giving, he gave a tenth of his income and he, he lived on 90%. Then he changed to giving 20% and living on 80%. By the end of his life, he was giving 90% of what he made and living on 10%. He said, you, you just can't outgive God. He had the gift of giving. Some of you in here, and I don't even know who you are because I don't see that, but some of you have the gift of giving, and thank you for that because you are, are providing a way for the gospel to be shared in this neighborhood, in, for saints to be equipped, for discipleship to happen. The gift of giving. Nine, the gift of healing. Pastor Andrew talked about this in 1 Corinthians 12, 9. We saw it in verse 28 as well. The ability for God to use you as His agent for His healing power as you pray in faith specifically for people who need healing and the ability to sense when God is prompting you to pray this kind of prayer. My view on healing is that it's tied with prayer. It's, 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 it's praying for someone that needs healing and God answering it in that way. As Pastor Andrew shared, the, the word for gift here is actually plural. The idea that God gives this when it's needed in His church at various times in various ways. I think James 5, that passage on if you're sick, go to the elders and they, they should pray for you. I think that's a great illustration of how this can be done. We need people to be praying for those that, that need healing. Ten, the gift of helps. We saw this in 1 Corinthians 12.28. The ability to come alongside someone else. Taking initiative to provide practical help quickly, cheerfully, and without the need for recognition. And, and I talked about this when I, when I talked on this passage. The root meaning is to take on the burden of another. To take it on oneself. And it's the ability to help others. And if we think of the gift of helps and the gift of service, both are, are behind the scenes. The main difference is that the gift of helps, their focus is, how can I help you, a person? How can I, I take your burdens? The gift of service is more task-oriented, what tasks need to be done to facilitate ministry? But someone with the gift of helps, they just see people and they just can't wait to come alongside and say, can I help you with that? Can I make that easier for you? Can I facilitate you? Sometimes people with the gifts of help come and do cooking for people or cleaning for people. They provide assistance. Some of you provide rides for people. That's the gift of helps. Some of you go and help some of our widows and, and widowers. That's the gift of helps because you're coming alongside and helping others. What a great use of a gift in the church to build up the body. Eleventh one there is hospitality. We actually see this in the First Peter passage, the verse right before this. It says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And it's the ability to demonstrate God's love by making others, especially strangers, feel warmly welcomed and accepted and comfortable in the church family. Do, do you ever have people that you, you just talk to and you just relax and feel right at home? That's a gift. Because they're, they're, they're good at conversation. They're good at, at drawing you in. The idea here is, is someone with the gift of hospitality, it's not just about welcoming you and saying goodbye. It's about including you and bringing you into the family. People with the gift of hospitality often use their homes as ministry tools. They love to provide meals, services for people. They have an ability to create an atmosphere where people are included. This is, this is huge in the body of Christ. Again, we should all practice hospitality. It's commanded of elders. But those with the gift just have a special sense about it. They can usually sense when somebody isn't included. When somebody feels excluded on Sunday morning or, or Sunday school or in a group. If you have the gift of hospitality, come early on Sundays and use it. You don't even have to be an official greeter at the door. Just walk around in here and greet people. Welcome them. Invite people into your home. Invite people out to lunch. Hospitality, people with the gift of hospitality, I think are sort of the glue that brings the body together and helps the rest of us remember to love one another. Number 12, the gift of intercession. This is possibly a gift. We, uh, the verses there are some examples possibly of it. If it's not a gift, it's definitely a way of helping the body. But the ability to sense the need to pray and then to intercede for the needs of others in the church family over extended periods of time on a regular basis 
persisting without discouragement until the answer arrives. This is not just praying lightly. These are the prayer warriors of the church. The ones that you ask to pray for you and you know that every day they're going to be on their knees petitioning God Almighty on your behalf. People with this gift love to pray. They, they also are, are directed and prompted by the Holy Spirit when to pray, sometimes without cause. Sometimes these are the people that wake up in the middle of the night. And I, I can remember one person in our church that, that I know had this gift and they came to me one time after a missions trip and said, you know, I just woke up at two in the morning on such and such a night and Holy Spirit just said I should be praying for you guys. So I spent an hour and a half praying for you guys. And that was the night that a big storm had come up and our tents had ripped open and we didn't know what to do and at that exact same time. And that sort of sent chills up, up my back, but that's the Holy Spirit directing His gifts in a supernatural ability to build up the body of Christ. Here's the thing. If you wake up tonight and God has someone on your heart, don't just go right back to sleep. Pray for them. See what God does. Then even go to Him and say, you know, God, God directed me to pray for you. Everything okay? The gift of intercession. Continued, sustaining, effective prayer. Number 13, the message of knowledge. Knowledge is the ability to discover, collect, analyze, comprehend, and organize Scripture and biblical truths that are vital to individual believers or to the entire church family. And so these these people just love to study. They love to read. They're the researchers. These also are the people that can read a text and, and know what it means pretty quickly and understand how all the different aspects of the text work out. These people love systematic theology and bringing verses together. Sometimes they have the gift of teaching, sometimes not. Um, sometimes people with the gift of knowledge help those with the gift of teaching by partnering together and working in, to do research, to, to proofread things, to, make, to write curriculum. Very important in the body of Christ. We need to keep moving. 14, leadership. We see this in Romans 12.8. And I distinguish between leadership in Romans 12.8 and administration in 1 Corinthians as leadership being the big picture person. The ability to clarify and communicate the purpose and direction, the vision of a ministry, in a way that attracts others to get involved. The ability to motivate and direct others to work together in accomplishing a ministry goal. So these are the people that think big picture. Where does God want village to go? Where does he want this group to go? And then the, the, the gift people with the gift of administration are skilled at making that happen, putting it into practice. Leadership tends to be long-term, administration a little bit more short-term. You need both. One of the tests of leadership is simple as anybody following you, right? If you're not influencing anyone, then you're just out taking a walk. You, nobody's following but someone with the gift of leadership, you see it as they exercise their gifts in the church, people gravitate and, and follow that vision. Romans 12.8 also mentions the gift of mercy, number 15. The ability to detect hurt and empathize with those who are suffering in the church family, providing them compassionate and cheerful support. They just know when somebody's hurting. They come alongside. They're often the first one to send cards Some of our ministries just really need people with the gift of mercy. Helping Hands Ministry, where we help our widows and widowers. The deaconesses as they serve and care for the, for the body. Benevolent ministry. We have people there that have an incredible sense of both wisdom and the gift of mercy. These are the people that weep with those who weep and rejoice with the, those that rejoice. Which again, we should all do, but these are the people that just have a sense from the Holy Spirit of when that needs to happen. And so we follow that. We allow them to help the rest of us. Sixteen miracles. We talked about this in 1 Corinthians. It's also a prayer gift. The ability to pray in faith specifically for God's supernatural intervention and see God's answer for His glory and the ability to sense when God is prompting you to pray this kind of prayer. And to see how God's power will be displayed. 17, for those of you that remember the, the list from a month ago, this is new. It's not that there's a new gift, but as Pastor Andrew taught last week and 
We looked at 14. It really looks like the, the gift of music as worship is mentioned by Paul several times. An example of that in Second Chronicles where, where people were assigned the, the gift of music to the, to the Israelites. The ability to worship and glorify God through music, either vocal or instrumental, and to lead the church family in worship. I just have a special sense of how to use music to draw us to the throne of God. 18, Pastor Shepherd. This is mentioned in Ephesians 4.11, and there's a couple of other examples there. But when, when Paul says some are given the gift of shepherding, pastoring, same word, we, we, depending on your translation, the ability to care for, guide, and nurture the spiritual needs of a group of believers and equip them for ministry, taking responsibility for their discipleship. When you think, of, think of a shepherd and sheep. A shepherd leads the sheep, feeds the sheep, brings them where they need to go. And that's the gift of pastoring. It doesn't always in the body of Christ have to be someone that's up here preaching or someone that's on staff as a pastor. Community group leaders, the most important gift you have is shepherding. If you have the gift of shepherding, that's a great ministry for you to strive for and to to be trained for. Um, Sunday school teachers, part of your task is shepherding, taking a group and helping them grow with Christ. Prophecy, sometimes considered preaching. The divine enablement to proclaim God's Word to His people with power and clarity in a culturally applicable fashion for strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. Those are right out of, of last week's passage, beginning of, of 1 Corinthians 14. There's a lot of, of different ideas on this. We've talked about it, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time this morning. But it's the idea of forth-telling, proclaiming God's Word. Sometimes when they're taking a stand against sin, And it's unpopular, but they're proclaiming God's Word and how we need to apply it. As Pastor Andrew said, a message from God. Let's go on to to number 20, service. It's mentioned in Romans 12, 7. The ability to joyfully perform a variety of acts of service for the church that may not even involve ministering directly to people without a desire for rank, popularity, or recognition, seeing the spiritual value in these tasks that support the body. So these definitely have a servant's heart, these people. And, and they don't, you don't even have to tell them to serve. These are the people that go to the gym and see chairs that need to be put away and just start doing it without being asked. Or tables. They see someone putting tables away and they stand up and do that. That's service. So many people have this gift. I, I, we've been blessed in our body with the gift of service and helps. And it's just a joy to see how that's used. 21, teaching, out of 1 Corinthians 12, 28, and Romans 12, 7, and, the, and Ephesians 4, it's mentioned in several of them. The ability to understand and effectively communicate God's truth to others by connecting with them and clearly explaining and applying the Bible and foundations of faith to their lives. The teachers were mature Christians who were instructing others. A teacher equips others for ministry. A teach someone with the gift of teaching notices in class when somebody isn't tracking with them and finds a way to connect with them and get God's truth into their hearts. What a great ministry to the body of Christ. 22 and 23, tongues and the interpretation of tongues. We talked about those at length um, two weeks ago and last week. So I'll just leave those there. But then lastly, 24, the message of wisdom. God-given ability to understand God's perspective, purposes, and workings in life situations and share and applies those insights in an understandable way. The ability to explain what God would have us do and how to do it. These people are cut, able to cut through the haze of confusion and just know what God would have us do in a situation or have a person individually do. They understand people. They're usually patient and gentle with people. They're good mediators in a conflict because they can understand the sides and bring it to a wise conclusion. They emphasize application. Whew! That was our jet tour. I don't usually do that in one day, but we did it in about 25 minutes. There's more on each of those. There's more I could share on each of those. Dig into the verses that are there. Study God's Word. God has given us these gifts and more for the equipping of the body of Christ. The last page, and I just want to briefly talk about this. This is something that if you, if you have more questions, we can talk more. 
are all the gifts still given to the church? And, and there's a couple of prevailing views. One is that no, some of the gifts have passed away. And that's the view of cessationism. And I just put no, that not all the gifts are given to the church. And I put some definitions in your notes. Certain miraculous sign gifts were only given for the foundation of the first church as an authentication of the apostles' message and their usage ceased in the church when the apostles died and Scripture was complete. And so those that, that hold to this view would view that some of the miraculous gift, miracles usually, healings, the gift of tongues, sometimes there, a couple of other gifts are included, that those were just for the foundation of the church in the New Testament era, and those have passed away and are no longer used in the church. Um, different people that hold to this have different lists of, of gifts that, that have been done away with. Um, Thomas Schreiner argues for this position, and I put a blog from him there. And, and this is a key phrase. There's no definitive teaching in the Bible that they've ceased. But we see hints from Ephesians 2.20 and other texts, Hebrews 2, 3 and 4, that the gift played a foundational role. And I say that's key to understand because we're dealing with an area where we are, we are trying to derive doctrine from hints in Scripture, from interpretation of Scripture. Scripture does not clearly say one way or another on this where we can say this verse says this. And so it's taking ideas and bringing them together into a whole. That's important that no matter which side of this, inform- this, this debate that you're on, that we understand that to take this humbly that this is different from a doctrine of, say, Jesus Christ is God. That is a core doctrine that we will hold to firmly. But when we talk about whether or not some of these gifts are still used in the church, we we view that with, with grace towards each other. I have seen and I've read men and women on both sides of this that I deeply respect, that I know are godly men and women that disagree on it. And it's been sort of fun because I put a couple blog posts there from two friends. One that says why I'm a cessationist. The other is why I'm a continuationist. And they just sort of go back and forth and talk about it. And that's the spirit that we need to have this discussion in. The other side um, is, is yes, that God still does give all the gifts to the church. And the, the, the technical name for that is continuationism. And it's that God still gives any of the gifts mentioned in the Bible as needed to build up His church. And so they would argue there's no direct verse that says they go away. In fact, the examples in Scripture are all that they continue. Um, they would also argue that the primary purchase of spiritual gifts was to build up, to edify, and that need hasn't changed in the church. Whereas the need for founding of the first church might have gone away, the need for edification has not. There's some other things on both sides of those that that we could talk about. But we want to handle this discussion well. And and I just mentioned this because this was one of the questions that came up. And I don't want to spend Sunday morning delving into those for a half hour. But to give you some tools to look at God's Word, to, to come to some of your own conclusions on that. We have to be careful of vilifying the other side. Sometimes the, those on the continuous continuationist side that say gifts continue... They accuse those that say they stop of not believing in the Holy Spirit or the sovereignty of God. That's just wrong. They do believe in that. Things like that don't help. Sometimes people on the side of saying no, that they've ceased, will, will accuse the other side of, of, they'll define the other side by the abuses that we see around us. Or accuse them of valuing experience over the Word of God. And for those that really study us, that's just wrong. And so we want to come to this humbly listening to each other, but more than that, reading God's Word and saying, God, how are you working? My view and what what our Constitution reflects is a view that I, I call open but cautious. I'm hesitant to say that God does not give those gifts. I've seen enough situations where the church is being formed and founded, where they are clearly from God, that I have a hard time saying that He doesn't act in that way anymore. But I see so many abuses and so many situations in churches, especially in the Western world, that are clearly not from God. That make sense? So I put there, while God can and does give all gifts, many of the sign gifts, such as tongues or healings, are human-induced or contrived. We must be careful to test their purpose and practice with Scripture. That's the key. Test their purpose and practice. I can remember one time, and I'll close with this, 
we've covered a lot of stuff today. I remember one time at Hume, and, and I was in a cabin, and this was main camp a long time ago, and the cabin across the way for us, in the middle of the night, they just started chanting and, and yelling, and, and it, it was a little scary, quite frankly. And we talked to them the next morning, and they said, well, we were just speaking in tongues. And, and um, something that Hume actually does not allow in the cabins. But um, and we asked, well, what, what were you saying? How did God use it? And nobody could tell us because they weren't following 1 Corinthians 14. It was a situation where it was, it was human-induced. It wasn't a language. It wasn't intelligible, as, as we, we see in Scripture with the gift of tongues. And so we want to be cautious of those kinds of things. But at the same time, as I talk to missionaries and see what God is doing and where He is founding His church, how He is validating the message, we want to be cautious not to limit the Holy Spirit. That may not be everyone's view here. I know it's not everyone's view here. And that's great. We can talk about it. We can appreciate God's word together. But I wanted to at least stay where I was coming from so you knew. Bottom line. How are you going to use your gifts? Are you going to use your gifts? Because God has gifted every person, every believer in here, to use their gifts for the building up of this body. So let's use them and use them as servants and stewards. Let's pray. Lord God, our Father, we come to you as servants and stewards. Man, that that just takes away pride, takes away this idea that I should get the gifts that I want. And Lord, we humbly say we will do what you ask us to do. And then we will watch with eager anticipation what you do at Village through that. Lord, I am so excited to see how you are working as people engage ministry, as they engage their gifts and serve you. What, a, what an awesome privilege it is to see the Holy Spirit work in mighty, incredible ways. Thank you, God, in Jesus' name.